You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hey, I'm Will, and they call me the doctor. And I'm Joe, the maestro. We host a podcast called Common Creatives, where we break apart the art we love to see what makes it tick. Basically, we give you the definitive take on whatever or whoever we're discussing. You don't need to go anywhere else. So check out Common Creatives wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. In this episode, I speak with the leaders of the incredible new Satanic Temple campaign, Sober Faction, which is a satanic sobriety community and campaign and tackles sobriety from a satanic perspective. But before we get to that, I have to thank my patrons. My patrons are my personal lords and saviors. I truly could not do this without them. And if you would like to join their number, please go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long or use the link in the show notes. For this week, I have to thank Tara Stolis and Fidelis Owl. Thank you so much. It means the whole world to me. And this is my plea to everyone listening. If you have an independent creator who you love, You check up on them every single week, maybe a YouTuber or a visual artist or a podcaster or a writer, please support them. If it isn't me, then please let it be another independent creator because social media is an incredibly unstable place for small independent creators and we really rely on you to support us directly. So if it isn't me, then please let it be another independent creator. Please keep the independent arts alive. Keep, you know, weird, degenerate, queer, satanic artists like myself going. I also have to thank my amazing sponsor, thesatanictemple.tv. If you are into weird fringe religious movements, if you are into watching amazing rituals, live streams, there are movie nights, then go to thesatanictemple.tv and at checkout use my promo code SACREDTENSION, all caps, no space, and you will get one month free. And finally, special thanks goes to my Discord server. Every single day, There is new conversation going on there. It is an incredibly thoughtful and kind and intelligent community that embodies the tenets of the Satanic Temple and practices the kindness and curiosity that I try to model on Sacred Tension. We not only have Satanists, we also have Christians, progressive Christians, atheists, pagans, etc., etc. It is a fascinating community full of interesting, thoughtful people. And if you are interested in joining their number, please just follow the link in the show notes. All right. Well, with all of that finally out of the way, I'm delighted to welcome ministers John Eldridge and Joe D to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. So happy to be here. Yeah. So you are the director's Am I getting that right? Are you both directors? Yes, co-directors. Co-directors. You are both co-directors of Sober Faction. What is Sober Faction? Sober Faction is a peer support recovery group. And 
its purpose is to offer an other avenue to recovery that's not based in theism. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the fancy wording of it, if you want that. Yes, please. Um, the Satanic Temple Sober Faction provides a necessary space free from pseudoscience and superstitious dogma entrenched in most mainstream peer support recovery programs. Mm. Our unique method is guided by TST's seven tenets and utilizes the seven rituals crafted specifically for a recovery program by applying our deeply held beliefs. The ritual process promotes self-empowerment while giving structure to each other's unique um, individual journey. Perfect. And for those who are new to my show, if, you know, Mother Algorithm washed you up on our shores uh, for this show in particular, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Also, TST stands for the Satanic Temple, which is our religious community. The three of us are, are ordained ministers within the Satanic Temple. And if you want to learn more about it, go to the thesatanictemple.com. Um, so have you, have either of you had any experiences within more of the theistic recovery framework? And if so, could, if you're willing, could you share some about that? Because I have too. So I, you know, I was in CODA, which stands for Codependence Anonymous. Um, not necessarily because I was, I, I had a substance addiction, but because I just had like ragingly dysfunctional relationships, like massively dysfunctional relationships. And so I found myself in CODA. Some of it was extraordinarily helpful. Um, it was really a mixed bag. And I think that's what makes it so hard. That's, that's what has made it so hard for me is there is this mixed bag where some of what I learned was very, very helpful, and then some of what I learned I've had to unlearn. So I'm wondering if if the two of you could share some of your experiences in the more theistic and supernaturalist uh, recovery programs. Um, I will. My experience in it is much shorter than uh, John's. <laughs> so okay. I'll jump in first. Many, many moons ago, I attempted to become a part of AA. I, I attempted to um, attend meetings because I needed help with my drinking and smoking weed and other substances. And it was getting out of hand. And AA is what comes to mind for most people initially, like go to AA meetings. So I walked into uh, an, an open meeting and immediately felt out of place. I was, I just did not feel welcomed. And I didn't even hear anyone speak yet. It was just initially walking into the room because um, it was mainly white men, older. Um, and I, uh, I kind of felt like it was in those movie scenes where someone different walks in and like the record stops and everyone turns. Right. Uh, so I, I was like, let me just stick it out. And I, I heard a few people speak. And again, I just didn't feel like comfortable. I didn't, I knew I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing personal stories because like the, I was the minority with my specific experiences being, I was also struggling with my identity, my gender identity, my sexuality. And it was not the case for the majority of the people in that room. Um, and I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing. I, I, I would feel judged. Um, and especially uh, that's not even to mention 
the religious aspect because I, even at the time, was on a journey looking for a religion that fit because I really did want to be part of a community, um, but was not down with like a patriarchal God being asked to remove my defects because fuck him, you know? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So I attempted maybe, I think it was just, it was just a couple, uh, a couple of meetings and never went back because I never found a room that I felt comfortable in, in that, um, in that universe. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, like you had mentioned, I don't want to um, discount the help that it has done for, countless people, um, numerous, numerous people. I know it has helped even people, members of sober factions still go to some AA meetings that where they are comfortable. It's really depends on where you are and the demographics of the meetings that you attend. Um, mm. But that was just my personal experience. Um, on to you, John, I know you have a, a longer- yeah, I'm going to try to give the abridged version. Like. <laughs> I give my speaker meeting and there's a long like spiel move, of move a bit move a bit closer to your mic. Okay, one second. If if Hold possible. Hey, check, perfect. Check, check. Sounded better. Say check one more time. Check one, two, check, yep, check. That'll check. work. Perfect. Awesome. So I started my recovery journey when I got sober uh, eleven years ago. Um, so still sober today, which is fantastic. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It really really means a lot to me. Um, and all I had available to me was Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I'm in the, I live in Georgia. So living in the Bible Belt um, made the recovery opportunities quite limited. Um, I was so desperate and terrified to go back to that way, old way of living. I forced myself to just do whatever I can. Um, you know, the stories, you know, being told, well, clearly if you knew what was right for you, you wouldn't be here today. You don't have to believe in God. It can be a God of your understanding. Hmm. Fake it till you make it. What is it going to hurt you to actually start praying? It's either this or you die. And I was terrified. So I faked it until I made it, right? Um, You know, it was a big struggle. Um, And a lot of people I feel who are outside of, recovery circles don't even recognize how religious AA is. Yes. How theistic it is. And, and could we, uh, may I ask you what you were addicted to during this Uh, time? My drug of choice was alcohol. Okay. Uh, But I I dabbled in everything. (laughs) uh, Of course. (laughs) I used to say I'm John Eldridge and I'm addicted to whatever you got. (laughs) Um, But, you know, when it comes to, you know, Step three, you know, turn your life and will over to the care of God of your understanding. Hmm. And as someone who's lived their life as an atheist, strongly so, um, this was before I was into Satanism and knew anything about it. It was still very much a struggle. And it got to a point where I convinced myself, like forced myself to believe I was just, you know, loosely agnostic, right? Like, oh, well, there's got to be something out there, right? I can't, I can't disprove it sort of mindset. So, and I was seeing so many people around me's lives changing, right? Um, And I was finding a community of people that were encouraging me and actually wanted me to do better in life. And people were very helpful, but it's 
over time, you know, I, I sometimes say the 12 steps worked for me when I needed them until they didn't. Hmm. Um, it was, I, I and, completely relate to that, by the way, that is, that is my experience as well. Like they were a vehicle to get me somewhere. And then the vehicle broke down and they, and it didn't work anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I was forcing myself to have these beliefs and higher powers. And I went through the whole 12 step process, um, which, there's some very good things in that. And there's also some very, uh, I would say, damning things in that process, uh, depending who's guiding you through it. As Jody mentioned, it depends on kind of where you are. And living in the Bible Belt definitely created some extra hurdles that I felt were unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but after about, I think it was about two or three years sober, I started really having a lot of struggles. And I was still going to meetings, but everybody around me in these meetings was regularly talking about these spiritual awakenings, this constant contact with their higher powers and being spoken to and being connected to their higher powers every day. And I started to judge myself because I didn't have that. And I tried, I would Mm. try as hard as I could. And I started questioning, you know, what is wrong with me? Why don't I have this? What did trying to connect with your higher power look like? Praying on a regular basis, uh, going, doing the steps over and over and over again, talking to my sponsor, you know, the, the whole, the whole, you know, spiel of AA essentially. I just uh, picture you like scrunching up. <laughs> I, you know, it makes me uncomfortable just like talking about it still. No, I, <laughs> I, I get that completely. And, you know, there are some people I think who are just neuro neurologically or socially or environmentally or whatever, not able to have the same religious experiences that they see other people having, and that is okay. But in a place like AA, it isn't okay. It's like you have to fit the specific type of mystical experience in order to excel, and there are some people who, for whatever reason, just can't. And instead of that just being a sort of neurodiversity, it becomes a mark against you as a human being and your character, and it's awful. Yeah, and it's so damaging to so many people. Yes. Um, because, uh, John will probably go on to see. Yeah. Uh, I was regularly told, um, you know, when I was trying to share with my community that I don't have this constant contact that I'm starting to doubt, right? I was told, you better find it or you will die. Um, and you will not make it. You are doomed to relapse. Jesus Christ. The, um, <laughs> I started making some friends in the community. There was actually... <laughs> made friends with a guy who was openly atheist and he was struggling, but he was making it work. And he would openly talk about being atheist in the meetings and he would get so much flack for it. And he became a good friend of mine. And unfortunately that friend did relapse and die. And the next meeting afterwards, um, this was, I was about three years sober at this point. Uh, The next meeting afterwards, people in the meeting would say things. If you only would have found Jesus, he'd still be here with us today. If he wasn't so stubborn, he'd still be here with us today. And that's when I just had it. I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, I, fuck, I, fuck that. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I just like, it took everything not to just flip the table. At that of point. course, <laughs> of course it did. Yeah. So basically you were being told if you don't become a theist, you're fucking doomed. And your friend was doomed because they were an atheist is yeah. basically what and, they told you. Yeah. And I strongly believe if he would have found an accepting community, he would have a much higher chances of still being here today. 
if he would have found a community that accepted him for who he was and his beliefs and was not force-fed dogma and Christian values, he would have had a much stronger chance. You know, I can't, you know, go back, hindsight's twenty twenty, but there's uh, kind of one of the missions, like it set me forth um, later, you know, several years later to, to make a difference. And it's kind of like in tribute in a sense uh, underlying in, in, for me. Yeah, and for my story, just to kind of piggyback off of that, personally, I probably would have been on my recovery journey much sooner if I was able to find a community where I did feel accepted um, because I had a cycle of relapse, like after um, leaving the couple of meetings that I had gone to, a meetings that I had gone to, um, I tried to do it on my own. I didn't think I would find a place where I fit. So I'm like, I could do on my own um, and I couldn't. Um, I, for whatever reason, relapsed, would try again, relapse. Um, and it wasn't until uh, meeting John um, where it stuck, um, where I was determined to, I really, actually I was scared. Um, the pandemic was just started and I, I was really scared that it was going to be bad news being cooped up, working from home um, alone that I was going to relapse and spin out of control. Um, so I was determined to find something and it was just, you know, by searching online for, I was already a member of TST at the time, um, kind of just searching satanic community, satanic recovery. And I found John and uh, he, a group he had started and that was it. Like I immediately felt welcomed and accepted and motivated. And, in my recovery, not just doing it, you know, reluctantly, um, but actually motivated and inspired to, to heal myself and get well and keep going. So I think what I'm hearing the two of you say is that the, within the recovery culture, for lack of a better word, and it very much is a culture, like it very much is its own little kind of subculture and lifestyle like and lifestyle absolutely it really pushes out a ton of people and leaves a lot of people um on their own because of the emphasis on theism and supernaturalism and because of that there are a lot of people who could be helped that aren't um because in america the i don't know what it's like overseas but definitely you know, I am here in the Bible Belt. Every single fucking recovery program is Christian in some way. And then you get into the courts and, you know, people, judges will court order someone to go to a Christian recovery program or to do AA. And I'm like, how is that not a fucking violation of church and state? Like, and and there are tons, sorry, go on. Yeah, there's, that's actually an interesting point because, uh, here now at Sober Faction, now that we are an official campaign under the Satanic Temple, um, we are actually able to fill that role. Uh, we've had members who have court mandated meetings, and since we're an official organization, we're able to sign off on those meetings. So members do not have to go and deal with the undue burden of religious dogma. It is very much a First Amendment issue. 
Absolutely. That's amazing. That's amazing that you're able to do that. Because that's actually something that I have been concerned about for a really, really long time. Because I have a lot of friends who have had, you know, court-ordered recovery programs, and they have all been Christian. Uh, the recovery programs have all been Christian. And that and they so they've basically had to like grin and bear this the 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 Christian dogma when their life is already brutal enough as it is you know it's like they're already going they already have the burden of um you know having to transform through this addiction um they're already burdened enough and to put on that undue burden of do- of of religious dogma is just awful so i'm it's awesome to hear that you're able to do that yeah and just to be clear, like, again, we, we understand that everyone's path is different. Everyone's recovery is different. Um, and Christian based recovery programs do help a lot of people. Absolutely. It's not just, there isn't only Christian based recovery systems. Like, um, now new ones are popping up. Um, you know, there's smart recovery and recovery dharma and, um, you know, whatever else there is. There there are others, but AA still remains the largest and the most mainstream um, and, the, and the most accessible because it's everywhere and one of, you know, the, the originals, I, I, yeah. I, I would assume. Absolutely. Um, the flagship. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's what people think of when they hear recovery. Yeah. And um, I know courts do say that you don't have to go to AA, um, find another one, but a lot of the times there isn't another option for a lot of people in their circumstance or where they are. Mm. Um, so it's amazing and so makes us so happy that we're able to do this virtually and reach people wherever they are. Um, and we do have members all over the world. We have members in Australia and the UK and Germany and all over the country and Canada. Um, so, so just to offer another option and keep that pluralistic nature of recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. So to make completely clear, you're not trying to dismantle AA or Christian recovery <laughs> programs because yeah. the truth, the truth is I know a lot of people who have been helped by Christian recovery programs primarily because they're Christian and and that helps them and that's important and so it, it isn't so so you aren't trying to dismantle religious recovery programs you're just trying to add another option so that people can find the route that works best for their own path is what i'm hearing you say exactly Okay. And before before sober affection and the group that Jody mentioned earlier that I, I started, um, you know, I mentioned my friend passing away and then not going to meetings. Uh, several years later, I started a group called Without a Prayer, which was a secular twelve step recovery group. Uh, when the pandemic rolled around, um, we ended up going online. It started off just as a local uh, meeting here in Atlanta, and it caught a lot of flack from the recovery community, uh, people constantly trying to have the meeting shut down just because it was secular. Wow. And we just took God, the God language out. Um, and that, that's how Jody found us when we started having online meetings. And after a while, we still recognized that even with removing that language, the program itself 
is still so entwined, like in rooted with Christian concepts and values. Um, the, the process of giving yourself up to something greater than yourself. Um, I kind of say, I've said in the past, uh, as a Satanist, I can find, you know, a personal struggle with the 12 steps in the first two words, which is we admitted I was mm. like, why do you have to admit to being an alcoholic? That means wrong, wrongdoing, right? And substance abuse disorder is a medically recognized issue. You wouldn't have to admit to having any other medical problem. <laughs> like you wouldn't have yeah. to admit to having polio. <laughs> you know what's you know what's interesting about that? I recently had a revelation because I've been going through my own like little mini addiction apocalypse with nicotine, where uh, through COVID and especially the election the presidential election which just just about fucking killed me you know but through that whole thing i started um vaping the nicotine salt disposables and i got and and i i was like mega dosing nicotine it was just like and i got so massively addicted and and then i would try to quit cold turkey it would ruin the next couple of days and then I would crash and then I would start vaping again and then but I had to quit vaping because it fucks with my sleep and so I went between horrific insomnia because I was mega dosing vaping to like uh you know the t- the terrible horrific homicidal mood swings from relapse that has been 6 months Six or seven months straight. It's just been awful. And then finally, it's like it finally occurred to me about, I want to say a month ago, this is a drug. What do you do with drugs? You taper off. It isn't a moral failing. It has nothing to do with character. It's just a chemical. And what do you do with chemicals? You just taper yourself off them like any other fucking drug. And so that's what I, so I, so I slowly, you know, like lowered my nicotine level and now I'm at zero nicotine vape. And now it's like my life has stabilized, but, but it's, it's incredible how with something like nicotine, it took me that long to realize that because it's the default. It's the default that this is a character flaw instead of a biochemical reality. Right. So I can talk for days about that and the stigma and the history of the stigma surrounding substance use and the way it has been handled historically, um, both in the medical field and in society. And that is something else that we at Sober Faction really try to hammer home um, is to have an understanding of what's happening to you mentally and physically when it comes to substance use and addiction, because in Uh, the more mainstream recovery programs like AA and others, there's no talk about what addiction actually is and what it's doing to you. Mm. It's just asking this mythological figure to remove your character defects to cure you magically. And there's no basic understanding of what addiction is and how it's affecting you. Um, So we strive to give that information, find that information, scientific articles and research. So people have an understanding of what's happening and they're not just um, panicking or like beating themselves up because they can't stop something. It's understand 
just take a moment to read and understand and ask your doctors questions and go to medical professionals and find actual medical scientific research on addiction. So you know what's happening and know what to expect when you're going through withdrawal or if you're just thinking about starting your recovery, you know, so you, so you know what to expect and how to handle it the proper way. Exactly. We, um, we, and then something I've noticed, you know, we, we did this organically naturally when we started our Soberfection meetings and it wasn't until a while later that it dawned on me like, wait, no one else in other meetings say this. And we opened our meetings recommending, clarifying one, we do not consider our meetings a professional form of therapy and two yes we, <laughs> sorry two, i had to just like interject yes <laughs> thank you <laughs> like we're like one we, we don't consider our meetings a professional form of therapy and two we encourage anyone struggling with substance abuse disorder or struggling with any form of addiction to seek help from a medical professional absolutely and i was just then don i'm like i've never heard that once no me neither in years I, yes years going to meetings <laughs> and you know that is all incredibly satanic to me because to me personally, Satanism is a religion of the body. It is a carnal religion. You know what Pinamu calls a carnal religion, meaning it is, it is about material stuff and material conditions and, and not being concerned with the next life with the spiritual, but being concerned with the here and now the carnal, the material and the material conditions and what science says about those material conditions. And so to me, that emphasis on, well, what does the medical literature say the most up-to-date medical literature say about what addiction is and what to expect from it? That just that is so satanic and liberating. It is because suddenly it's not on you. Like it's no longer on you because you're a terrible person. It, you are experiencing this because you're a biochemical creature and uh, that isn't a character flaw. Right. And it's usually you have these substance use issues and then you're immediately criminalized and it's through the criminal justice system that you're forced to go to meetings or a program that you don't identify with, that you don't agree with, that has no medical basis whatsoever. And you're supposed to just stop, you know, and get better and get thrown back out there now that you're stigmatized as a criminal, a criminal and an addict. Like it, it, it's so demoralizing and dehumanizing yes. and it's so like ignorant yes the whole the whole system the way it's structured and um it's starting to creep into you know modern times and progressive medical steps yeah Mm. like you see um they're trying to destigmatize language surrounding substance use in the medical field um but it's taken way too long um to be recognized as what it is. And um, it's a medical issue. Um, uh, I mean, I'm happy for the progress that is being made and hopefully it gets better and hopefully sober faction will be a part of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Nope. So, thing, yeah. Sorry. Oh no, you're good. So in the, in the net, in the time that we have left, I really, really want to go through the seven rituals of sober faction. So these are incredible. And um, so the the first ritual is in our suffering we had a moment of clarity 
we realized that we had lost ourselves and recognized addiction as our adversary. What does this ritual mean to you? I'm going to uh, try not to talk an hour about each ritual. <laughs> uh, By the way, um, are, are we okay if we go a bit past nine? Do you have... I'm, I'm good. Uh, Joe, are you, are you good? Okay. Um, do you prefer Joe or Joe D? Either one. No okay. preference. Okay. Yep. Perfect. So if, if we... I, I have a feeling we might go a bit over with these rituals. So I just want to double check. Okay. So, so how does this first ritual relate to your own experience? So with ritual one, uh, I think first it's good to kind of explain what is the ritual process, right? You read these seven rituals, but um, so what does it actually mean? Um, with each ritual process, we actually have a full, essentially a full workbook. Um, each ritual is accompanied with a list of self-reflective questions and then a non-theistic satanic ritual accompanying it to help cement and bring, bring forth self-empowerment and catharsis Mm. for for each step of the way um so there's actually a precursor ritual which is to dedicate your own recovery tome to tell allow yourself to say all right i'm ready to get started on this journey i um, love that like the baby step to have your own little book to to write your recovery work into um before you start on to ritual one uh, it allows especially allows a lot of members to kind of dip their toes into a ritual process um, for those who are completely new to TST and the idea of ritual and things of that nature. With uh, Ritual 1, though, you know, having that moment of clarity, realize we had lost ourselves, recognize addiction as our adversary. Um, this is, from the get-go, is so much more empowering. We are core, like we s- focus so strongly on self-empowerment, mm. self-compassion, and the difference of admitting powerlessness and then having a moment of clarity and recognizing an addiction as an adversary. It allows me to feel I'm, there's something for me to fight against, right? There's something for me to fight back and get back my life. And through the ritual process, my favorite part of it is the first question in the ritual process, which is what do I want to change? Because that can evolve over time. What I wanted to change when I was, you know, five days sober is vastly different what I want to change at 11 years sober. And it allows for a wider interpretation and, and so forth. Um, throughout the ritual, after you finish the self-reflective questions, uh, then goes into a destruction ritual to start it off. Could you um, um, explain what a destruction ritual is for people who are unfamiliar? Sure. Um, this is a, we have a pretty, uh, pretty awesome, like solo destruction ritual. And the process of that ritual is uh, you would write down any feelings or thoughts or I, anything that comes to your mind about your, your substance abuse or whatever your, your struggle is onto a piece of paper. You would then put that piece of paper onto a plate. We then take a small black candle and light, uh, put it on top of the paper and the plate and light it and watch the black wax melt down and kind of cover up everything that you just wrote. Mm. And once that cools, you then get to smash the crap out of that plate. And <laughs> it feels so fucking good. Amazing. <laughs> like, like we've had people in the meetings like, I went and smashed another plate yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's I mean, catharsis for people who are unfamiliar with this concept of non-theistic ritual, I highly recommend everyone go listen to my interview with Shiva Honey uh, about satanic ritual and about how 
you know, these cathartic, uh, I would even go so far as to say mystical experiences can happen in a non-supernaturalist, atheistic context and can still be very helpful. Uh, yeah. So actually, a couple of our rituals um, drew inspiration from Shiva's book, uh, The Devil's Tome. Mm-hmm. And just briefly, for those um, still maybe wondering, so ritual um, is... There has been scientific and psychological and um, anthropological research into ritual and the benefits. So there is there there is a ton of research out there that has shown that non-theistic ritual, solo and group ritual, have psychological benefits. Um, and there's all sorts of reasons um, that I won't go into here, but. Uh, for those who may be questioning, like, I thought you, you know, were kind of promoting science backed <laughs> recovery and now you're doing like this crazy ritual stuff. Um, but ritual very much is based in science and definitely has psychological benefits. And the destruction ritual itself is kind of like setting intention. Most rituals are setting intention. So this is just focusing on, on things that you wanna change and you wanna get rid of taking some sort of action in that and motivating yourself to do the work towards it. So it's getting that motivation and like getting that kind of euphoric sense after you smash that plate of, you know, thinking about focusing on all those things you want to rid yourself of feeling good about it and then taking the next steps to, to do just that in actual reality. Yeah. I think the important part of uh, having a destruction ritual as a part of ritual one as well, um, since ritual one is about recognizing addiction as your adversary, having a destruction ritual followed by that really, I'm taking that physical action of being ready to fight. I'm being ready to fight for myself and fight for, you know, not like physically fight (laughs) to, to, to emotionally move forward and recognize I, I can have the strength to do this. Ready to throw down. Again. Yeah, I'm not going to go start boxing people outside. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it can feel like, though. That very often, that's what it can feel like, uh, because it is a physical battle. Sometimes it it feels like it. Your whole body is engaged in in the process. The next ritual is ritual number two. We decided our will and authority over ourselves would be reborn through adopting a new way of life. I love this one. This is like the resolving to be the phoenix from the ashes. Yeah. Again, we really wanted folks to feel like they were in control. They're the ones taking the action to change their lives. A lot of the 12-step language and work is steeped in guilt and shame. We really wanted to counteract that and empower people. That's just what this really, I feel like ritual too, and that language, um, that wording emphasizes and brings to light is that you are the one, you're, you're the one taking action. You're in control over, over your own life and taking the steps to make it better. You know, as you're saying that, it, I'm just thinking through the original 12 steps and how 
disempowering they are in comparison to these. Like, I, I admitted that my life had become unmanageable. Like, that might be technically true, but if you're saying it in i i my life has become unmanageable my my you're basically saying i have oh and isn't there a specific line i had become i am powerless over my over yeah i'm i'm powerless it says i am powerless and i'm like is that really the message that you want to send to people who are struggling with particular illness is that you are powerless i don't know like it's just Bringing home all over again, I think in a way that hadn't landed before, how disempowering the 12 steps are. It's such a stark difference. Yeah, no. And and when really the most compassionate thing to do is to say, no, this is this is your life and you are you're mighty and you can you you can change this. Like that is so much more empowering. Yeah. And it it really just that one stuff that you mentioned with using the word restoring you to sanity is just awful yes (laughs) it is take into account like mental health issues yes it is incredibly ableist as well yeah yeah so throw that there too (laughs) so much wrong yeah Um, for real for me ritual two you know ritual one in that process um is you know recognizing things need to change, right? Ritual ones, like, things are tough. Things are not going the way they need to be. I'm not living the life I want to live. And ritual two for me is, it is possible. It's about having hope. Recognizing I can do this. I'm seeing other people in my community do this. And it's very much connect. Each ritual very much connects with a tenant. And ritual two very much connects with tenant two that the struggle for justice is an ongoing necessary pursuit. And in this regard, it's a struggle for justice against my adversary. Struggle for justice for me Hmm. is worth having. This is worth doing. It is possible. Hmm. I love that. Ritual number three reads, we made a commitment to take responsibility for our own actions in the past, present, and future, focusing only on what we could control. I ritual fucking love this. I'm sorry. What was that? I said ritual three is the as a doozy. Yes, it is. It is. So it's it sounds like a a much better and much more empowering version of steps uh, four and five. Um, which I never made it past step five. <laughs> I step five fucked me up so hard. Like, which was um, the moral inventory of step four. Yeah, a fearless moral inventory. Um. The fearless moral inventory part, I was fine with it. I was like, yeah, I've been a douchebag. It was the, it, like, yeah, I've, I've been a terrible person. I'm happy to admit that. It was the making amends part that that was so demoralizing. So here's an issue that, you know, from my personal experience with that moral inventory that you spoke of in, uh, in the 12 steps. And like you said, you had no problem making a shame list. Oh yeah, and no, I someone, I can do that so well. I can do that all fucking day. I will tell you. I practically have a podcast about it. All the things <laughs> that are wrong about me, <laughs> and you know, it's a lot of people in early recovery are deeply struggling with depression. Yeah, and you know, my that myself included, and 
writing a shame list of like this all this is doing right now is going look i'm right here's this list of how bad i suck and it's just proof that i suck wow i hadn't thought of that actually no you're completely right about that yeah and it fucked me up it fucked me up pretty bad same i think for a long time because you know i was at a point in my life where i needed to believe something good about myself like just one good thing. It it didn't matter what it was. Like, like you know, oh, he sings good in the shower. Like whatever the fuck it is, I needed to believe at least one good thing about myself to get through the day. And the twelve steps did not give that to me. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's a good thing you brought that up because you start that process of finding qualities of yourself within ritual too. Um, second seventh question in ritual two is what are my qualities and strengths that i am proud of there you go it's just a start there and when we got to ritual three when jody and i were designing this we've spent the most time on this ritual in particular um it's broken up into three parts of past present and future and we desperately wanted to make sure that nobody was going to turn this into a shame list that it's about recognizing with the past part, it's about recognizing what from my past is weighing on me today, right? What from my past is controlling my actions today and how can I move past this? Uh, we very much borrowed heavily from a co- the CBT, cognitive behavior therapy practices of the ABC flow, uh, problem solving technique, um, something we found most beneficial and it works very well from a satanic perspective um, to be able to look back at situations and kind of break them apart in an unbiased way and then come, try to come see if there's what are new healthy ways that can move forward from this. Mm, I love that. Jody, what are your, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Basically the same. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Both of you have talked about, you know, I feel the same way. And when you know, with without a prayer and, and Jonathan and Jonathan's group prior to sober faction, like he said, we were still kind of working on a secular 12 step approach and reaching these steps where I had to do the moral inventory. Um, I was just like, nope, I had a, a sponsor at the time um, through without a prayer just ghosted her <laughs> like, I'm never doing this. like I know I'm never doing this um, the long grand tradition of ghosting your sponsors <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad you didn't ghost completely because <laughs> right. I knew I needed to do something but this I was definitely not doing that like and it, now thinking through this uh, from a uh, satanic perspective and like I I know I'm fallible I know I've done terrible things that I'm not proud of but now I know that I I'm not that person and I don't have to continue to think about it and have it haunt me to this day like I'm moving forward and I'm and um, I reconciled what I could and I'm continuing to try and improve upon myself and be the best person I can be. And it's going to be a constant evolution, um, which is like I hearing that and reading this ritual 
instead of saying, nope, I'm never doing this, it's like, oh, okay, I think I can do this. It's a to- it, your mindset is completely different reading, reading these words and reading these rituals. Language matters and the way you, you construct these sorts of programs and these processes, the words that you use and the language you use and totally matters. And it matters to each individual, whether they're going to go back out there or whether they're gonna continue this journey and get better. And yeah, and that's what was in the forefront of our minds when we were constructing them. Another big part um, that I've seen countless people run into with a more, the moral inventory approach is and and just just so that we can clarify for the non-recovery people listening the moral inventory phrasing that comes from the 12 steps not from the seven rituals just yes. so just so that people are clear on what we're talking about sorry go on yeah so from the 12 step approach just to clarify um some something that is comes up a lot and when in the in the process you go through like every person you have a resentment against, for example, and you have to find out what you did wrong. And when it comes to history of abuse, that is extremely damaging. Even coming from myself, looking at a history of abuse in my life and figuring out why it was my fault really messed me up. Like, and that is another part, like we will never in a million years try to make that part of our recovery process. We just use practicality and recognize, um, you know, like we're we're talking a lot about the past part, um, just not letting the past weigh on us so much. And then the next part is present, which is a lot about gratitude. A lot about finding what's good about you today. What is, what are, what are friendships that you fostered that did well? What are some achievements you've had in your life? What are some skill sets you've developed in addiction that could serve you today? Uh, Jody and I constantly joke about uh, the the superpower of being an addict um, to always be able to get what you really want. Yes, it is a superpower. <laughs> By the um, way, just a heads up, a massive thunderstorm is rolling in. And so if I suddenly vanish, <laughs> that's what happened. I don't think it'll happen, but if it sounds really fucking huge outside. <laughs> so if my little cabin up here on the mountain suddenly gets swept away by a hurricane. That's what happened. Just a heads up. <laughs> so I will try to reconnect. I'll, tr- I'll try to reconnect to the Zoom if, if it does go out. Anyway, sorry, go on. And then the, uh, the third part of Ritual 3 is about future. And that's mostly focusing on fears and anxieties. Um, we found, you know, I found my experience that while if I'm focusing on resentments or anger or my past uh, or shame. I'm thinking about the past. If I'm feeling anxious or staying on fears, I'm thinking about the future too much. Um, But when I'm focusing on gratitude, I'm able to be more grounded in the present and to try and look at what are some of these fears in my life and what are irrational misconceptions that I've built upon myself and what are new healthier outcomes I can try to restructure this and practice in my life. Mm, I love that. So that is a ritual three in a nutshell. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And, and if, if I'm understanding correctly, it's like each of these, each of these rituals really has a whole set of 
basically literature and rituals that you have created to work people through that ritual, which I think is awesome. That That's beautiful. So ritual four is we acknowledged behaviors and patterns of thinking that we found to be unacceptable or unhealthy. And once again, I'm just struck by how affirming and validating this is while not shying away from being like, yeah, you might have fucked up and you can <laughs> and and, you know, these patterns of thought have have messed you up massively. But it isn't disempower. The way this is worded is is so empowering. What are your thoughts on this one? How has this interacted with your own recovery process? You want to go first, Jody? Um, so this after the huge Ritual three, which is a lot of, of work and just self-reflection. This is almost like when you're, you go down the, the roller coaster and then you kind of go, sh- you know, <laughs> you're like, huh, okay. Um, I could, that was, that was a lot, but I'm good now. And this is kind of like that feel good. Um, like you said, I, I know I had these issues that I didn't know how to deal with before. Um, and I, I'm kind of coming to terms with them. I'm recognizing it, recognizing it and actually consciously thinking about them, which when you're in active addiction, you're not really consciously thinking about your actions and behaviors in, in sort of a productive way, you know? Um, so now this ritual, I'm like, okay, I'm sitting down. I'm actually thinking about my behaviors, my characteristics, um, and building myself back up again, figuring out what works, what didn't work in the past and what's working for me now. And one of the things is just being in this community and having that support system and knowing I can reach out. It's like checking that off the box. Like that's something I, simple things like that are huge when you're in recovery and in life in general, like just taking responsibility for your actions and trying to improve yourself is, is huge. And any, I feel like for anyone, it's almost like, you know, when someone is in crisis, be it with addiction or something else, it's so easy. It's like the natural route is to not really deeply examine our thought patterns. Right. And what this ritual is doing is kind of demanding or encouraging the person going through these rituals to actually sit down and do the thing that is so hard to do, which is think critically about where we are and how we got here and what are the processes, you know, think critically about about the the operating system in the background instead of just saying well god will fix it it's like no <laughs> we're you know we're going to think critically about the operating system that's functioning in the background exactly yeah. and, and thematically in a sense you know i talked about ritual one is kind of recognizing things need to change ritual two is about having hope that things can change and ritual three and four is where you start doing the work. You're like, what is it that needs to change? And then ritual four is, well, how do I go about changing it? Getting sober isn't about just stopping drinking. If it was that easy, we all would have done it. You know, it's about recognizing what are the p- patterns and behaviors 
we recognize in our life that have led us back to that time and time again. Why do I feel the need to constantly go back to it? Despite how many times it's gotten the way of my life. Yeah. No, I just want to say, it's just funny because that's another like kind of ongoing joke in sober faction. Like when we have our meetings and the little chat, the Zoom chat, like, well, have you tried stopping? <laughs> <laughs> have you just tried stopping drinking? Yeah. <laughs> stop, stop heroin. Like. <laughs> and the funny thing, though, the terrible and funny thing is that we actually say that to ourselves with addiction. Yeah. Like, we actually, that's what I have done for the past seven or six or seven months with nicotine. It's like, well, have you tried stopping? Have you tried going cold turkey? And even after, like, I don't know what, what it was, you know, which number of relapse it was, it was all over again. Well, have you tried stopping? <laughs> I'm actually going to. Try. <laughs> try and stop this time. Exactly. Like, I'm going to actually, actually try. And then it, when it doesn't work, it's like, I'm going to actually, actually, actually try. Okay. I mean, the amount of rationalization and minimalization that we'll give ourselves in active addiction is astounding. There is always yeah. a reason why it was acceptable for me to be getting as fucked up as I did, as frequent as I did. Hmm. There was always an excuse why it was okay. And it was never had anything to do with my choices in life right? and I never had anything to do with addiction or anything like that. Um, and by going through this ritual process, I'm able to look at like, Oh wait, you know, that has led me to this time and time again. Oh wait, there is something I'm really hanging on to. That's kind of, we say, don't let people take free, take, get to live in your head for rent free. Right. And don't let your past enslave you anymore to so really be able to, and that's what ritual three and four is very much about is, you know, recognizing, you know, going through that list on ritual three and then going through ritual four is like, okay, you know, I've noticed I've been, for example, very codependent. How do I go, uh, how, how can I go about evolving away from that? Or I tend to lie a lot, right? How can I go over and try to do that? Or something we talk about more so in sober faction I've heard in any other recovery program is I don't set boundaries for myself, Right. And that's very common and how important it is to not let the world walk all over you and have respect for yourself and from from others and respect for yourself from yourself. You know, one of the things that I love. I'm sorry, Joe, were you going to say something? Oh, no, I'm just like, mm hmm. Okay, okay. (laughs) Um, uh, By the way, I'm hearing a cat. Who's your cat? What's what's their name? That's Pancakes, who I feel like everyone in Sober Faction knows very well. <laughs> I was going to say something. What the fuck was I going to say? Um, well, I can't remember what I was going to say, so we'll, that's a sign that we need to move on to ritual number five. So ritual five reads, Upon acknowledging these facets of ourselves, we began the practice of continual introspection and mindfulness. What does this look like for the two of you? is um getting deep um it's a lot about the the actual ritual part the active physical ritual part um of this one is attempting meditation and it's for me it's it's helping me take time to focus on myself and self-care which a lot of us neglect or put off i struggle with meditation i'm i make excuses not to do it so this kind of it uh, eliminates making excuses it's like it's a 
this ritual. And I want to get through it. I want to accomplish it. I want to have that sense of accomplishment, say I did it, um, and kind of reinforces taking that time, even after I complete this ritual, to continue it. And just to keep it in my mind, like, I need to take time for myself. I need self-care and clear my mind. And it's like John had mentioned earlier about setting boundaries and setting, saying, no, I can't do this right now because I'm taking care of myself. And it's so important for me in my recovery because when I get overwhelmed, when I have so much stress and stuff going on, that's when, you know, I'm at risk and I want to do something to calm down that is probably not healthy. So this is a way, a healthy way to cope with stress and anxieties and stuff. Um, and kind of tune all that out and focus on myself. You know, I think an interesting part of Ritual 5, there's, you know, with all the rituals, there's two parts of it. And the first part of it is about, uh, you go through, make two vision boards. Uh, You do a five-year vision board, uh, essentially writing out, what would you like your life to be like in five years, right? And we encourage everyone to not limit themselves. Let your imagination go wild, whatever you think could be possible. I have to pause and point out that that sound is your bulldog snoring in the background. Yes. Just, just for listeners. I'm sorry. I, I, just, I know that listeners will be so confused by what they're hearing. So acknowledging the bulldog snoring in the background. Okay, do continue. My <laughs> <laughs> apologies. snoring under my desk. <laughs> um. But yeah, so for the, you know, we, we encourage, you know, visualize how, how good things can be in five years. And then, <laughs> well, apologies. I'm going, can we pause for a second? Of so course. No, it's all good. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Never have to apologize for me. Never apologize. No, like I said before we started recording, we love the ambient sounds of animals. That is meditative. It's like ASMR. <laughs> it is. Bulldog snoring in the background. <laughs> yeah. Love it. I was able to move the, the big mojo. <laughs> the <laughs> snoring beast. Okay, perfect. Um, okay. Should I just start back? With yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. So the interesting thing with ritual, uh, this ritual is, you know, all the rituals have two parts. And the first part of ritual ritual five is the first part is about making a vision board and we encourage everybody to really allow themselves to let their imagination go wild to really encourage themselves to not limit what could be possible in five years and then after you do the five-year vision board you do a one-year vision board what can i do this year to start working towards those five-year plans Mm -hmm. what can i do today to make this one year goals possible today. What are the steps that I could take to really allow, allows me to have excitement about things going forward and new opportunities in life and starts to really help me navigate what things are possible now that I've been working on this and changing the way I look at things with a more positive outlook instead of the doom and gloom that regularly comes with addiction. Amazing. It's just so practical. Like that's, that's the thing and it isn't rocket science i feel like one of the lessons that i've had to learn just in terms of maturing and 
you know, getting hold of of some unhealthy patterns and behaviors is just like this isn't magic. It's actually really simple. A lot of these things. Write your goals. Reflect on them. Move forward. What are you going to do today to move towards that mountain? Like, it's really simple. It isn't rocket science. And that's one of the things that I feel like I've learned over and over and over again is it's actually... I keep wanting to make it more complicated than it actually is. <laughs> I don't know. Does that does that make any sense? Yeah, 100% sense. Okay. I regularly say that recovery is normally simple solutions to really complicated problems. Absolutely. Yes. And doesn't mean it's always easy, right? Because recovery is, let's be real, recovery is hard, mm-hmm. right? It's very hard. and um, But it's a very simple process like the the answers are simple but the problems are extremely complicated and when we're able to start focusing on you know long-term goals short-term goals and then mindfulness of today and right now um we have actually a you know jody mentioned constantly giving themselves excuses for not meditating and i do the same thing and i'm so grateful that our council member brady bonnie started a sunday meditation meeting because now i meditate now I meditate at least once a week normally. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, no, I, I try to meditate every morning and it often doesn't happen, but like that's the goal is to meditate every morning. And I am really, really interested in incorporating contemplative practice into my Satanism and then exploring ways to do that more communally as well, bringing contemplative practice into, into Satanism. So that's something that I've been fascinated by. Uh, and I've been thinking about as well. You know, we always say, um, I don't think there's anything more satanic than self-growth. Yes. Like self, self-growth self is the most satanic thing you can do. And ha- practicing meditation, we recognize, you know, meditation means multiple things for different people, mm-hmm. right? Some people can't just do a silent meditation. It took me a while to be able to get to that because I just have such a hard time sitting still. Um, but there's med- all sorts of different forms of meditation. And we actually go through different processes every Sunday. Um, we've tried, you know, guided meditations, silent meditations, ASMR videos, the works. That's um, cool. That's awesome. Cause we want to people to know, cause I don't think I've ever heard anybody go, I have no problem meditating. Like, I don't think I've ever heard anybody ever say that. It is always a struggle. <laughs> Jody, what's oh, you, you were about to say something. What, what's on your mind? So you're going to say, Oh, um, just about the making excuses um, and putting stuff off or what I wanted to talk about was our community because it's our community is such an amazing support system that kind of holds you accountable and kind of motivates you to want to do these things and want to do these rituals. And it's a huge part of it because if I was left on, on my own and I, I was trying to do recovery on my own, um, I would put everything off and I have made excuses. Um, so being a part of this supportive, amazing, positive community really helps. So even though we're, you know, so satanic and we're like, hail thyself, we're doing it ourselves. We're amazing, which we are. We also encourage having that support system and community because community is so satanic as well and helping each other lift each other up and learn and motivate each other to do what we need to do for our self-care and for our recovery um, is 
so just like vital, I think, to my recovery at least. And I, and, and I know it, it, it's a huge boon to others in, in, in our community. Yeah, I, I, think it, I agree with that. Sorry, go on, go on, John. You know, and you brought up an interesting thing, Jody, of, you know, you know, Satanism very much is like, you know, all about yourself. And I've been asked before, like, well, if you're able to just do it by yourself, why need a program? And I don't think I can do recovery by myself, right? But it is, it was my choice to recognize I needed help. And it was my choice and actions to seek help. Mm. It was my choice and actions to take the advice given to me and to work with others. And mm. that's what we mean when it's, it's, it's self-empowerment. And I've always hated in, you know, in other pro- growing, growing up, going through recovery in other programs was when things are going well, it was according to God's will. And when things are going poorly, it was your fault. <laughs> and I say, fuck that. I've worked my ass off. Yeah. It's over. Right. This is my work. And while I didn't do it all on my own, I, it was my actions to get to where I am. Mm-hmm. So it was my actions to get, put myself into a community and connect with others and work on myself on a daily basis. A community of individuals. Yeah. Very yeah. much so. Yep. And, and also, you know, community is so satanic in part because it is scientifically validated that, yes. that, com- that we, thrive within community. And so, you know, I wrote an article a while ago called Seven Satanic Dichotomies, which kind of focuses on the symbol of Baphomet, which is the reconciliation of opposites and and this and and kind of this tension between what appears to be paradoxes but are in fact dichotomies that are in balance with each other. And one of those things for me is individualism and community. On on one side of Baphomet is is community on the other side of Baphomet is the individual and it is not one or the other it is these two things working in in mysterious tension uh and symbiosis with each other yeah so ritual uh ritual number six we continuously strive towards self-actualization seeking knowledge on our path to act and respond ethically and responsibly in all things. This was actually our topic just the other week. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. What does this mean for you? So I think, you know, the, this is, you know, we call ritual five, our first maintenance ritual mm-hmm. of an ongoing part of your recovery process. And ritual six is the second maintenance ritual, um, complementing your regular meditation practice and this is where the seven tenets come in very heavily. Um, we use the seven tenets as self-reflective questions through our meditation through our meditation practice. I think it might be would I could just kind of go over the questions that we ask ourselves about each tenet, if you like. Absolutely, yeah, please do. Um, so, tenet one: one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Have I acted with compassion towards myself today? Have I acted compassionately towards others today? Tenant two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. Have I continued to strive for justice against my adversary of addiction? What actions have I taken today to stay on track? How many days have I been sober? Remembering each new day is a triumph and should be celebrated. Three, one's body is invulnerable, subject to one's own will alone. Have I been living the way I want to by taking actions towards self-improvement and my own goals? And then you would use your vision board as well from ritual five to kind of like, well, am I, you know, continuing on this path? 
Uh, four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Have I respected the freedoms of others today, even if I found it disagreeable? Have I encroached upon the freedoms of another? Have I allowed someone else to encroach upon my freedoms? Five, belief should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. Are my beliefs towards myself, towards myself and others rational right now? Am I holding on to distorted, irrational beliefs and or fears? And again, you can look back at your ritual three pro uh, for this. And tenant six is the big one. Um, this, so I would say, ten, I would probably say the two biggest of the rituals would probably be ritual three and then ritual six. And ritual six is the big one if it, when it comes to your first time doing it. And tenant six is people are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. This one came with a lot of clarity um, to, because we don't, I mean, I'll go ahead and it says, working on tenant six will likely be a larger task the first time you do it. Well, looking over ritual three, we may have caused a lot of harm in our past. As we continue living in accordance with the seven tenants and the seven rituals, this list will naturally get smaller and taking responsibility for our own actions will slow, slowly become second nature. We shouldn't expect to be able to go back and fix every mistake that we have ever made or to hunt down every person from our past. It is important, however, for us to live free from shame and guilt from our past and for us to take responsibility for our actions. We should do our best to rectify and resolve any harm that has been done to people that we care for and are in touch with. If there's something from your past that, um, if there's someone from your past that you've harmed that you cannot get in touch with anymore, or it may cause you more harm to yourself to engage with, with that person, the best thing to do is to simply strive to le learn from those mistakes and work towards self-improvement. You may not be ready to work towards rectifying all of your past harmful actions, and that is completely okay. Just start with one at a time. Remember, this isn't about seeking approval from others. So, sometimes some damages cannot be repaired, or someone doesn't want to accept your apology. What's important is you find what you could do, what well, you did what you could do, and you no longer have to live with any of that accumulated guilt. So again, the this is not about we really wanted to hammer home that this is not about seeking acceptance from others this isn't about groveling and saying i'm sorry all the time it's about what are what have we what is still weighing on us and what actions can we do to to rectify that harm to practice the, the sixth tenet hmm. i love that i'm just, i kind of monologue about it. no sure that's Cody. fantastic yes. <laughs> you can you can monologues are great jody what are your what are your thoughts on this and what john just said well not much to add um it's more about your own judgment like it's your judgment call what from your past you want to revisit and what you don't and just acknowledging the stuff that you don't want to revisit kind of come to terms with it within yourself and move on and move forward um and that's really it like you don't have to you don't you don't have to do anything that makes you uncomfortable or that you don't want to do. It's you're, you're guided by your own judgment and the, you know, you could always seek advice from our amazing community that, <laughs> that I spoke of before. And if you're, you're unsure, talk about it, you know, talk about it with others. You're not alone. And um, um, you have, you do have this amazing community that is there for you 24 seven, literally. So I love that. So the questions for six is, have I made a mistake that has caused harm? What actions can I take to best rectify and resolve any harm that has been caused? 
And mm. am I harboring, harboring resentments? Can I recognize that everyone is fallible and not let someone else's actions control my life today? And the last one is tenant seven to simply repeat tenant seven to yourself in regards to all the work we've been doing throughout this ritual process is every tenant is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thoughts. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. I'm, I'm seeing how it can be so helpful to return to these rituals and uh, as well to the seven tenets, which I do every single day, um, just on a, on a continuous basis. It's like continually working the rituals, going, exploring the rituals and discovering deeper and newer layers of empowerment. And as I'm reading through them, it, I can see how empowering an experience that could be. All right, the seventh and final ritual. After following this path, we recognized our own self-growth and sought to point the way to those who are suffering. I think this one is really, really beautiful. What is? What does this one mean to you? Really, just what it says, um, and it goes back to our amazing community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just to be there for others and be of service when you can, where you can, if you can, you know, it's, again, it's all what you want to do. What, you know, don't overburden yourself. We all have different circumstances, you know, that we're in, we're in different places in our life and in our own journey. So it's just do what you can, because it does feel good being able to help others. And after you've gone through this whole ritual journey to want to share that with others and, and build other people up um, is also part of your own recovery. Um, it, 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 it feels good. It helps others. And it's, I, I think it, because we're guided by the tenants um, and I'm, I try and, and I strive to live by the tenants. Like that's sort of like the, one of the core for me, um, to live by the tenants is to be of service to others. However, I'm capable, you know, we're all, we're our own guides and what we're capable of. And, uh, and it feels good to be, to be able to do what we can for others. I think another part of, you know, so many of us, when we started Sober Faction and who have come to Sober Faction, um, felt very alone in our recovery for a very long time mm. and struggled in our, in our recovery process for a very long time until we found sober faction or until sober faction exists, you know, was, was put together. And with ritual seven, we want to ensure that nobody has to deal with that unnecessarily. Right. No one has to suffer alone anymore. Right. Well, while pain is necessary part of life, right. Everyone's going to have pains, but suffering alone is only optional. And we try to make sure and push that community as hard as we can. And, you know, this kind of segues nicely into um, another big part of Sober Faction that's unique, and that is the allyship program. Mm. Um, So allyship is similar to sponsorship, um, but some very key differences. I was going to pull up the way it's worded because it's worded so nicely. Um, The Sober Faction created allyship program that consists of peers of recovery working through the seven rituals together, offering support, mutual guidance, and friendship without judgment and hierarchy. The allyship program differs from common sponsorship style step recovery mentorships in that there is no teacher-student dichotomy. 
all our students as well as teachers within ally partnerships, learning from and guiding each other as needed. I love that. I I love the, it, it's like taking the best from the sponsorship program that are in 12 steps while removing the, the, the dangerous hierarchy and authoritarianism that can so often creep up there. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing Satanists don't like, it's arbitrary authority. It is arbitrary <laughs> authority. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, wow. We got through this seven rituals. Um, and if I may continue on my tangent. About yes, please, <laughs> please. Yes. Um, as I mentioned way at the beginning of our, our interview, our podcast journey here, that I didn't feel accepted or comfortable in AA rooms uh, in those spaces. Um, but the sober faction community is such a, a welcoming space. And it's just beautiful to see so many different people coming together and supporting each other and just accepting each other for who they are. The majority, I have to, I have to say, I, I do think the majority of our members right now in, in, the, in the private Facebook group are queer or um, gender non-conforming. And it's like, no one blinks an eye. It's, it's even with our, you know, cisgendered members and our heterosexual members, or, you know, it's no one cares. We're all just there to support each other. And everyone feels so comfortable and, um, and able to be honest, completely honest in, in our meetings and in our spaces where me personally and others have spoken about not feeling comfortable speaking about certain things in other recovery programs because they were so othered in that space. And that's just one thing many of us were othered for is how we present ourselves or how we identify, not to mention our belief systems. So it was like these multiple layers of having to be dishonest or closed off and just grin and bear what we had to to be in in a recovery group, um, which is not the case in, in Sober Faction, which is just so comforting and I'm so grateful for that space and that it's open to everyone. You know, there are other programs um, that have kind of like subgroups for different individuals, whether they're a, a queer meeting or a woman's meeting, et cetera, which is cool and that's great. And those spaces are necessary, um, but it's amazing that we're all able to coexist in, in our meetings um, in comfort and just support. Mm. Absolutely. Mutual support, that's the words I was looking for. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Is there, are there any final thoughts or any final, final things that you wanted to impart to our audience before we wrap this up? Should we talk our, our events? Yes. Tell us, tell us about your events. When will this be airing? This will be airing hopefully next 
next Saturday. Oh, perfect. So <laughs> this is airing. If this is airing around Saturday the tenth, yes. um, come look forward to our first big fundraiser through uh, TST. Um, going to be a live on TST TV is the Rolling with the Devil event. It's going to be an online D and D live stream with the Sober Faction Council, where the audience can donate to fuck with the game. <laughs> so everybody who's watching can donate you know uh, you know two bucks and make one of us have to re-roll our dice mm -hmm. or someone can donate a little bit more and add more enemies to the table or they can donate you know a larger amount and submit a plot twist that we'll all have to deal with and the whole all of the funds raised go straight to sober faction so we can continue to grow this campaign and it's going to be crazy. <laughs> it's going to be nuts. That sounds amazing. That sounds like a lot of fun. And what are the dates for that again? That is going to be on July 17th, and it will be on TST TV. We'll have a video, um, teaser trailer video um, by that point going around, kind of sharing the info. Perfect. And and send that to me so I can post it on the website as well. And by the way, uh, the SatanicTemple.tv is also the sponsor for Sacred Tension. So you should use the promo code, Sacred Tension, all caps, no space, to... Uh, to uh, get your first month free. Okay, shameless plug over. Uh, where where can people find Sober Faction online? The uh, TST website, mm -hmm. uh, the SatanicTemple.com, and what is it? It's the SatanicTemple.com slash pages slash Sober Faction. Yeah, and, and it, it, it should just pop up on the Satanic Temple page under campaigns. Yeah, if you go through the campaigns under advocacy, you'll also find Superfection there. From there, you'll find our full meeting schedule. You'll find the seven ritual packet that we discussed thoroughly here. Uh, there's, there's a ton in there. We, we've kind of scratched the surface on all of them. There's a lot more to it. And you'll also find um, where you can donate to Superfection to uh, support our cause so we can keep doing this. We also have our Facebook private group, um, the Satanic Temple Sober Faction, um, private Facebook group that I highly recommend you join um, because again, it's 24 seven support there. People are on there chatting all the time. Um, it's a great space. And before we close, I do want to thank our amazing council. It's not just me and John, we have the most amazing Sober Faction Council um, that consists of Brady Bonnie, who manages our membership um, and our mod squad that moderates our Facebook group. Um, we have Joshua to Spain, who manages our allyship program that was mentioned. Uh, we have Hell Bent, who is our treasurer, um, and Larry Reboir, who does our merch and arts and graphics and sister midnight who is freaking fantastic as our uh, secretary and um they all also lead certain meetings um they all have their different style um and format for for just just a, a great variety of meetings and personalities um so i didn't that's everyone right i didn't leave anyone out amazing yeah i think that's everybody and each meeting it's one one more sub note is each meeting that we host is hosted by a different council member and all the meetings 
feel widely different. Mm. So you're also getting multiple different approaches and perspectives and not all the meetings have the same format. So it's another thing to look forward to in Superfaction is variety. It's not just me or Jody talking every day. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that, that sounds fantastic. And honestly, it kind of reminds me of the Satanic Temple Services, how so far it's like each temple service has been so different because our clergy is so varied and and it and has so many different perspectives. Yeah, that's that's super cool. All right. Well, my friends, we have come to the end of our podcast journey together, but you are always welcome to come back. Uh, this has been a great conversation and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. Hail Sober Faction and our amazing community once again. Once again. Thank, thank you so much for having us again. It was a pleasure being here. And yeah, uh, hail Sober Faction, hail TST. And if you have any questions about Sober Faction, don't, feel, don't be scared to peek into this Facebook group or message us through the website. Beautiful. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by Eleven D Seven and The Jelly Rocks. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. This show is written and performed by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and it is produced and edited by Dante Salamoni. It is a production of Rock Candy Recordings and is supported by my patrons at patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. As always, hail Satan, and thanks for listening. Tell us some clever metaphor. Sing us a hymn or strum us a power chord. How about I just try and say something honestly? I don't think I have what you're asking for. I'm just like Jesus Christ, why does it all get